All right. I have good news to bring to you today. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God sent his only son into the world, born as a baby, just like any other baby was born. But this one had two natures. He was 100% God and 100% man. He grew up and he lived the perfect life, observing all of the law that we couldn't do on our behalf. He died the death that we deserve, the death on the cross, as the perfect sacrifice. This act, they say, propitiated or satisfied the wrath of God against sinners and changed our standing before a holy God. And of course, he was raised uh, from the dead to prove he was who he said he was. And this is the gospel, nothing more, nothing less. God calls on all to repent and trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So now we say we have been justified before God. And we think of the word justified in um, our own daily lives. You know, you have a stack of papers that are all messy, and you take them and you whack them this way, and then you flip them over and you whack them this way, and they, they, they straighten up into a nice, neat stack, right? Okay, well, we say we have been justified before God because of the work of the Son. And in the, in the church context, in the Christian context, you might have heard justified, meaning justified never sinned. You've heard that before? But it goes a whole lot deeper than that. Because if it was all about what you could do, if you had never sinned, that would, if it was about your works, that would just get you back to kind of neutral with God. But what justified means is not only justified never sinned, it means that on the cross, Jesus took all of our sins into his account. And God put all of Jesus' righteousness into our account. And this is what theologians know as the great exchange, and I think we got the better end of that deal. Um, but after we are justified, the next stage in the life of a Christian is called sanctification. Sanctification is a big theological word that basically means that God is conforming us to the image of his Son. Now, while justification, we say, is monergistic, which means that God does 100% of that work, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation and justification is the fact that we were sinners and we needed someone to uh, be the sacrifice for us. Um, some people believe that sanctification is what is called synergistic, which means that you and God cooperate together. Uh, but there's some, debate, there's some debate over the nature of this. Because we know that God is sovereign over all things. He knows the end from the beginning. So I could be wrong. So what does sanctification look like? How do we progress to become more like Christ? This is the focus of the sermon series that Brent and Lucas have been presenting about the spiritual habits. So today's spiritual habit is practicing or being part of a community. So let's see We'll see what kind of what kind of a congregation this is today. If you, uh, see if you can finish the lines to this old country and western song. Me and Jesus. You know that one? 
but I hope somebody does. Scott does. Got our own thing going. Then the next line is me and Jesus. Got it all worked out. And then he says, me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. But we don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. You've heard that song before? Yeah, that may, that may tell you something about my sanctification. That I like that old country, old country music. Um, so, are these words by the great theologian Tom T. Hall, are they correct? Can the Christian life be just about me and Jesus? Well, let's see what the scriptures have to say. We'll start in Hebrews 10, and I'm going to back up to verse 23 to get a running start. So, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here what we see in this passage is the writer to the Hebrews. He's exhorting these believers to cling to their faith and also to cling to one another. A lot of times in the face of very intense persecution. And uh, he tells them that they should hold fast. Well, why should they hold fast? Well, they, it tells you there's a promise there. This is because he, Jesus who promised is faithful. So verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another. Okay, well, I've been a part of churches and other organizations where stirring one another up is not a problem. Have you, maybe, you know, people who like, there's people that like to stir one another up, right? Well, you know, you've heard, I don't like this, or I don't like that, or hey, what do you think about this, or he preaches too long, or they spend too much money, or whatever, you know, people, people like to stir up their friends and neighbors, you know. But according to the scriptures, what are we supposed to stir one another up to? Love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And we can see already by this time, there are already these Lone Ranger type Christians that thought it was just me and Jesus and my Bible, what they had at that time, and uh, that they could just go off under a tree and be, and be by themselves. But um, that's not necessarily true, because how can we stir one another up to love and to good works if we don't gather together? Okay, so in response to this uh, in, in response to the writer of the Hebrews, let's look at how the early believers responded. This is from Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the, and, the, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see in this passage in response to 
the scriptures, what did they do? They devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they, they, had, they had the writings. They didn't have all we have today. Just imagine what they would have done if they'd had all of this. All right. Uh, they also devoted themselves to fellowship, to meeting together with one another, just hanging out, being together. We know the kind of a cliche, doing life together, what we kind of say nowadays. But that's what they were doing. If you ever thought that just hanging out with fellow believers is, is a, the part of the process of sanctification, it can be. Uh, the breaking of bread, they devoted themselves to. I like to devote myself to that. This could be the observance that we get together for the Lord's Supper. They would also uh, get together and just eat together. Do you ever get together with fellow believers and have a meal? Uh, they also devoted themselves to the prayers. They got together and they prayed for each other. So, notice that, and notice they were together and they had all things in common. Now, there are some times where people will try to take this, take this passage out of context and they'll use it as support for some sort of uh, communistic or socialist system, but that's, that, that's not true because if you'll notice, these believers love one another so much that they did this voluntarily. They weren't forced to by any government. And they still had personal possessions. They had houses. They had lands. They had things. You know, so what did that look like? Well, maybe somebody was a chicken farmer. And so they just said, hey, if you need eggs, come on over. I'll give you some eggs. Maybe there was someone in the community who was a seamstress and could sew really well. And they would sew up your clothes or make you new clothes, and they would take one, care of one another that way. Maybe there was somebody who in the group had one of those really nice zero-turn radius mowers, you know, that they would let somebody borrow. Hint, hint, wink, wink, you know. Um, I don't know, but it could look that way. It also says they were generous. They sold stuff, stuff that they thought would make them happy before they found Jesus, and they gave to people in need. Imagine if we did that today. So let's check out the last part of the passage. Having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, it's not my intent today to romanticize the early believers. You know, they were, they were just as flawed and had the same things uh, that prevent us today from, uh, from perfect community with one another. Um, you know, you think about the, <coughs> the um, excuse me, some of the, the early believers coming out of Judaism. They're fighting this very strict legalistic system that they'd grown up in. That's all they knew. And then on the other side, you had these Gentile believers who, if they practiced any religion at all, it was probably some sort of, you know, the pagan rituals of the Roman uh, polytheistic religions at that time. But they came together, and they loved one another. And noticed that God used their love for one another and their community for one another to bring one another, to bring others in. They didn't stand on the street corner and preach. I mean, they could have, not a, not a bad thing, but they didn't have to do that. 
They didn't have to band together and say, hey, let's all vote this same way and we'll get political power and we'll get all these judges and we'll get people to see it our way and we'll bring it in that way. What they did was they lived out what they believed. And then along the way, they told people about Jesus, told them of the gospel, and it says the Lord blessed their efforts. And we can do this too. So, what are some practical ways that here at Fellowship Bible Church can we participate in community? Well, congratulations, you're already doing one of them right now. Regular church attendance. Coming here, meeting together, singing the songs, listening to the, the sermon, taking it all in, serving one another, loving one another. That's one thing that you can do. Uh, small groups. Here at Fellowship, we have... We have our small groups, and I will tell you, my small group's the best small group. Your small group pales in comparison to my small group. Now, I, don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but they're pretty good folks. So we meet together. We, you know, we just have fun. We eat. We pray for one another. We pray for the church. Um, kind of all these things that these folks were doing. Now, we, we hadn't got to the part where we're selling all of our stuff and giving the money away, but I don't know. That's... Baby steps, baby steps. Um, Fellowship University, that's, an, that's something we've been doing here recently. We have different classes that you can take. They're, some of them are these Bible studies or theological things. Others are, are, are just times that we can get together. Right now I'm involved in Frisbee golf. Did you ever think that Frisbee golf could be a step into conforming you to be more like Jesus? Well, sometimes when you... When you throw your frisbee off into the woods or whatever, you know you kind of realize how much farther you've got to go, uh, what runs through your head or comes out of your mouth. But, but there's all kinds of, of, of great ways to get together and to meet one another and to fellowship with one another. Uh, we have different activities. You saw we're having a pool party. We're going to be baptizing folks also. That's a great way to come and to edify one another and to celebrate uh, what God is doing through the lives of these folks that are being baptized. Uh, the men get together. I know that uh, it's always fun that the, the grill master, uh, Mr. Stan Fretwell, he flips burgers for us and bratwurst, and we just hang out and have a good time. You know, um, the ladies get together. I don't know what all they do. I don't really want to know, but I'm sure that they're having a fine time as well. Youth, if you're a teenager, I will tell you that Lucas and Bryce and the other workers that work in the youth, they have great opportunities for community for you guys to come and to be a part and to know that outside of these doors, you have a community that you can rely on. Also in our giving, you know, what if, what if we at Fellowship, what if we started bringing in so much money that we just started gave, giving it away? What if... What if, if nothing else, people outside these doors, when they drove by, they would say, those folks are giving folks, that they give to those in need. At least they put their money where their mouth is, where their, where their message is. So those are, those are some practical ways that you can participate. You know, um, God gives us a perfect example of community. Here at Fellowship, we confess the Trinity. 
God in three persons, one essence. So God has always been a community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living together, loving ever since eternity past, living together, loving together in perfect harmony. But ultimately, the reason we should be in community is from John 13, 34 to 35. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So ultimately, this is it. There's a world out there that doesn't have hope. And they might just see how we practice community together and how we're different. And they might ask you why you're different or why we're different. And that might give you an opportunity to share the gospel with someone. Um, before I end with this quote from Tim Keller, because it's not a sermon without a Tim Keller quote. Um, um, here are some objections to community. You might say, well, Stacy, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't like crowds. I don't... Uh, know what to say that's me maybe I deal with anxiety I, I, I'm socially awkward I don't know what to do that's me or maybe you might say well my personal private time is very important to me I don't get a whole lot of it but that's me but you've got to get past yourself and you've got to just put yourself out there and I promise you it's good for you. Let me end with this quote from Tim Keller. It says, We often think of community as simply one more thing we have to follow in the rules of behavior. Okay, I have to read my Bible, pray, stay sexually pure, I need to go to fellowship. That's small f fellowship, by the way. But community is best understood as the way we are to do all that Christ told us to do in the world. Community is more than just the result of preaching the gospel. It is itself a declaration and expression of the gospel. It is the demonstration of the good news of freedom in Christ through the evident display of our transformed character and life together. It is itself part of the good news, for the good news is this. This is what Christ has won for you on the cross, a new life together with the people of God. Once you were alienated from others, but now you have been brought near. So community, can we do this? I think so. So let's try to, from this day forward, let's try to be more intentional about how we gather and when we gather and we lift each other up and we stir one another up to good works and to love. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this teaching, Lord, that we uh, thank you so much for each one of these folks that are here gathered in community together. I just pray that you would just uh, be with us as we go our separate ways, Lord, that you would always help us to remember 
that the world is out there looking at us and they need hope. They need the hope that we have. Father, I pray that through our practice of community that you would uh, lead others to us and that you would add to our numbers. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.